This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Tonic, heard Saturday afternoons at 1 on Zoomer Radio. The following is a sponsored program. Zoomer Radio and MZ Media Incorporated do not endorse any of the statements or opinions made by the contributors. The idea that health really is so much more than the absence of disease, that we as individuals are more than silos of sickness, that our lifestyle and our life choices greatly matter, and this idea that we can absolutely choose to be proactive about our health and our aging. Welcome to The Tonic. I'm your host, Jamie Busson, and we're here to talk about your health and wellness. On today's show, we're going to learn how to proactively prevent the aging process. We're also going to discuss the importance of comprehensive sexual education in the school system. Then we're going to learn how to cook with turmeric. And lastly, we're going to talk about the truth about CBD. But first, a little bit of business. Today's show is brought to you by the 10th Annual Joy of Aging. The Joy of Aging is an annual fundraising event in support of the McKenzie Health Foundation. The event is regularly attended by over 300 well-to-do women in Toronto and since 2009 has raised over $307,000. Proceeds from this year's event will fund the new Domestic Abuse and Sexual Assault Care Centre at McKenzie Vaughan Hospital, which provides specialized care and support to women, men and children experiencing domestic violence, sexual assault, elder abuse and human trafficking. The event itself takes place on October 14th at Bellevue Manor in Vaughan from 9.30 a.m. to 1 p.m. It includes a fashion show featuring an all-star cast of powerful women from the community, booths and activities featuring fun and helpful services, live music, a silent auction, a delicious healthy breakfast, and fabulous gift bags. For more information on how you can attend the 10th annual Joy of Aging event, please visit thejoyofaging.ca. I have three first guests in the studio today. Tina Taranjian and Janine Purvis are financial advisors at Asante Wealth Management and co-chairs for the 10th annual Joy of Aging event. Tina is among the first ever group of certified financial planner professionals in Canada to receive the Fellow of FPSC Distinction from the Financial Planner Standards Council in 2011. It recognizes individuals who have helped advance FPSC's vision of seeing Canadians improve their lives by engaging in financial planning. A financial advisor since 1991, Tina specializes in assisting business owners and self-employed professionals in building wealth and developing sound and financial estate plans. Janine Purvis is also a financial advisor. She specializes in investment planning to fulfill the needs of the business owner, self-employed, executives, or commissioned individuals. She works to ensure you make the right financial decisions in your life through regular meetings, comprehensive reviews, balanced diversification, protection with insurance, and ongoing implementation and review of recommendations, Janine is committed to helping you achieve your goals. Last, but certainly not least, we have the keynote speaker for the Joy of Aging event, Dr. Jennifer Perlman. Dr. Perlman is a nationally recognized medical expert in women's health, hormones, and beauty. She's a certified menopause practitioner by the North American Menopause Society and is attending staff physician at the Menopause Clinic at Mount Sinai Hospital in Toronto. 
With expertise in both holistic medicine as well as science-based Western medicine, Dr. Perlman has successfully completed a fellowship in functional, anti-aging, and regenerative medicine and is board certified in anti-aging and regenerative medicine. Dr. Perlman has been designated to work as an expert consultant to other physicians in the area of women's health and mental health by the Ontario Medical Association. All right, so we're ready to learn more about this event. This is such an amazing event, and it's been been going on for 10 years, is that right? It's our 10th anniversary, yes. Tina, how did you become uh, involved with it? Well, the event started back in 2009, and at that time I was on the board of Mackenzie Health Foundation, and uh, I talked to my colleague Janine Purvis about starting a fundraiser for the hospital. It started small, it was just our teams and our branch that started it. And the first year we had about 120 women attend. Right. But over the years, it has grown to be a much bigger event, much anticipated in the community. And it's focused on health and well-being, healthy aging, and also a focus on educating women about wealth. Well, those are all important aspects of, of wellness. Mm-hmm. Um, what does the event mean to you? I mean, beyond it just being a charity event, like why are you so passionate about it? I think the biggest thing was that when Tina and I were doing our financial planning with our clients, we kept finding that the women were so busy trying to take care of everybody else, they weren't always taking care of themselves. That's true. And what we decided was we really wanted to do something where we supported a hospital or something that was critical to everybody in the community. So we went forward, we chose the hospital for the fundraising, and we tried to do something where women are going to actually pay pay attention to themselves, have a fun morning, camaraderie, education, activities, and actually just get your friends, your girlfriends, your sisters to come out and enjoy and take some time to think about you. That, and that's really why how it started. Mm-hmm. I, I think all those are, are really important issues. And so part of the fun of the day is listening to your keynote speaker, who we happen to have today. Hi, doctor. Hello. And in general, what is it you're going to be speaking to at the event? So I'm going to be sharing some top tips that our, our women, our audience can sort of take away with them and implement into their lives to live a longer, healthier, happier life. So this whole idea of taking charge of their aging. And and what qualifies you to speak about all this? How do you how do you know all about all anti-aging, etc.? Well, um, as you mentioned, I am a medical doctor and an expert in women's health and, and aging, but I'll tell you, a large part of my expertise did not come from my conventional medical training. Where did it come from? It started with a personal passion, the idea that health really is so much more than the absence of disease, that we as individuals are more than silos of sickness. Mm-hmm that our lifestyle and our life choices greatly matter and this idea that we can absolutely choose to be proactive about our health and our aging. That makes sense. So we don't, in that respect, you know, we don't live forever, right? I mean, we'd like to. Some of us, you know, the thought the thought of aging, it isn't just about uh, more adding more years or, or bigger numbers. It's also quality of life too, right? Yes, and I, it's a really important point, Jamie. I, I like to differentiate this idea of the health span and the lifespan. And so it's not just years of life, but the life in those years. And so through all my work and 
you know, I've completed a fellowship in what's called functional anti-aging and regenerative medicine. And over the past 15 years, I'm now faculty and teach this medicine to, frankly, an enormous um, emerging body of, of medical practitioners, largely doctors, that are choosing to be to work at this frontier of what I believe is the new era of personalized precision medicine. Let's talk about the mechanics of aging. Why do we age? So many factors age us. We rust out. We we have oxidative stress. We um, become inflamed. Our hormones, all of them decline. And as we have a, a... female-oriented event here. Um, this, The hormonal uh, aspect is a big reason women have the cliff of aging in med- midlife, literally age twice as fast as any other decade, faster than men, you know, in the years around their, their menopause. And a lot of that is because of rapid hormonal loss. And we, lo- we lose other factors as well, like our, um, our nutritional input, our ability to intake and absorb the key nutrients of building blocks of life. So many factors age us, but it was only really in the last 10 years that we discovered the biologic limit to our lifespan, which is known as the telomere, literally caps that sit at the end of our chromosomes and um, shorten as we age. And frankly, as for women, really important as we become stressed or unwell, otherwise unwell. And the shortening of our telomeres ultimately sets the limit to our lifespan, but in a way that is dynamic. And as you'll here, if you come to the event and get the the 10 tips, very much under our control. So you're saying that through lifestyle changes, uh, we can affect how the telomeres degenerate or the pace at which they degenerate? So the amazing um, finding from the scientists, the Nobel Prize winning scientists that discovered the telomere is that the most impactful intervention to buffer the effect of chronic stress, which was her marker of biologic aging, she found telomeres were shortest in chronically stressed women, which, by the way, were women who are mothers to chronic ill children. Again, so important, um, the, the significance of this event. And she found in her work, her pioneering work, that the most impactful way to protect them, to um, restore some of that impact on the telomere was through evidence-based stress management interventions. Okay, so, you know, on the show, we cover a lot of aspects. So we're talking about stuff like mindfulness. Yep. Sleep, I would presume, is a, is a big... Sleep, I, I would differentiate. So definitely, though, there's interplay, you know, and, and I'll, I could give you some, you know, greater insight as to how even shortening, like a 20% shortening of your sleep duration from the ideal seven and a half hours to about six after a few days puts you from a cognitive perspective in the same ballpark as someone who hadn't slept at all. But back to stress management and beyond just simple things like what we, you know, now are much more aware of. So mindfulness, meditation, deep breathing, visualization, practices like Tai Chi and yoga in this new era of medicine and and, you know, something that I've been speaking a lot about, mind-body connections, is that we can actually use biofeedback to hone our practice of these. So biofeedback on the preload to stress is something that we can now achieve using a brain-sensing headband, actually discovered by some pretty entrepreneurial, bright Canadians called Muse. It's a headset that actually can give you some input as to your state of mindfulness. And 
And on the afterload side is heart rate variability monitoring, which you right. can do in conjunction with the practices like mindfulness, like meditation. Right. So those are just ways to kind of zip up the extent to which you are practicing and honing your stress management toolkit. And these are accessible to men and women. It doesn't matter how much money you have. These are practices that you can do on your own uh, and it doesn't take a fortune to do. These are just changes that everybody can make truthfully, right? Absolutely. And a big part of stress management, a kind of sister to it, is self-care. And so I think the very idea of the Joy of Aging event uh, really speaks to this. The idea, take a pause, especially women who are often sandwiched between their kids' needs, their aging parents' needs, a pinnacling in their career, their relationship, their friends, etc. Very, very often fail to take just those few minutes in a day or over a week to, to actually practice self-care, whether it's relaxation, a nature walk, spending time with close confidants like their girlfriends. Self-care is a really important, uh, as I said, sister to the idea of stress management. So other than the fact that women go through menopause, are there any other aspects that make aging different for, for men and women? Everything about Everything's a female. That was a leading question, but go ahead. Yeah, everything is different. And, you know, just to take you back, I, I mentioned medical school and, and how it really does approach the human body as silos of sickness, very ill-to-a-pill-based approach. When I was a medical student, there was absolutely no gender basis to medicine. In fact, at the time, I was researching hormones and heart protection and started um, actually a chapter in our medical school study guide that actually spoke to the differences in women's heart health. And I think fast forward, it's over 20 years later, and we're really not that much further ahead. You know, women are systematically excluded from the biomedical research machine from the very earliest decisions like what gets studied and everything about us is different. And so hormones are a big obvious factor. Right. And it, it absolutely does underscore where women have this rapid aging in our middle years, but our nutrient needs, our brain needs, our body needs, everything about us is different. And so not only are the aging factors different, but so too is the very personalized, precise plan that needs to be put in place to help buffer the effects of aging, which we can absolutely do. And just to come back to that biologic model, which I described was actually studying a group of chronically stressed women, it is important to understand that stress, we spent some time speaking about, ages women very differently than it does men. Okay, so all this is fascinating. And if somebody were to come to the event, they're going to hear some top tips from you on, on how to deal with this. you want to give a, our listeners a little taste of, of what they might hear? So I'm going to walk through some pretty exciting new science. I'm going to be speaking about the new science of epigenetics, gene-environment interactions, this whole idea that our DNA is not our destiny, that we can choose to bathe, like the storied old fountain of youth idea, our genetic predispositions in a very precise lifestyle. I'm going to take you some, through some exciting new brain research on neuroplasticity and what I alluded to, the whole mind-body connection. So it'll take ideas like sleep, stress, and self-care, but on you know a much uh, deeper level. And then I'm going to talk through 10 tips to, like I said, walk away with, implement into your own lives that are all science-based and not so well-known um, 
so far that have all been shown to affect aging. Fantastic. So in addition to the keynote speaker, you have all sorts of other things going on at the event. Is that right, Tina? We have great entertainment this year. We have a fashion show with 10 powerful women from our community, real women, different ages, to show that you can be beautiful at any age. Right. And we also have live music, uh, silent auction, Boots. Um, Judy Kroon is our MC this right, year, so we're going to have a lot yeah. of fun today. Yeah. Oh, and we have a fitness break because, again, we're trying to do all these different activities that are helping us to be engaged and active and and keep us healthy. So the fitness break, you're going to do some stretching midway through, or how's it going to work? It's actually going to be pole walking what? this year. Pole walking. What is pole walking? <laughs> you'll have to come to it's the. Not, it's not pole have, dancing. Is no, it? No, 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 no. It's pole walking, and you have to come to the event to learn more about it. Are, are men allowed at this event? Am yes, I allowed to absolutely, come? Absolutely, absolutely. Okay. Well, if, if if our listeners are interested in coming to the event, how do they reach out to you? The that, best thing is our website, uh, thejoyofaging.ca. Tickets could be purchased there, and all information about the event is on the website as well. Fantastic. Uh, so uh, if people are interested in their tonic listeners, are there any special deals that they can get? Absolutely. We're happy to extend our early bird pricing for your tonic listeners. If they go to the website, thejoyofaging.ca, to purchase tickets, just enter the code TONIC, and we'll be happy to honor that special discount at a table rate as well. Fantastic. Well, thank you all for coming in today. It's been a real pleasure. Thank, thank you. you. Thanks, thank you, Jamie. We've got to take a short break, but when we return, we're going to discuss the importance of a comprehensive sex ed curriculum in our schools on The Tonic. The Benvenuto Group is an owner and developer of quality high-rise condominium and rental properties in Toronto and Montreal. The Benvenuto team is passionate about delivering quality living spaces, top lifestyle amenities, important services, and innovative design tailored specifically to its residents in every particular submarket. The Benvenuto Group seeks out the finest urban neighborhoods and designs projects to allow its residents to enjoy the benefits of both their property and the exceptional locations that they become a part of. The team surrounds itself with leading professionals and consultants and pushes them to conceive great places to live, to work, and to play. The Benvenuto Group is currently designing several new projects in Toronto, Montreal, and Chicago that will not only become exceptional places to live as an owner or as a renter, but that will deliver some of the highest levels of sustainability, energy efficiency, and comfort, and will set the standard for informed residents. For more information, please visit thebenvenuto.com. The Tonic is brought to you by Purely Natural. Their liquid greens chlorophyll is the only line of soluble, grit-free, and great-tasting greens on the market. Liquid greens can easily be mixed with your favorite drink to provide a sustained, natural boost of energy to help you get through your day. There's unflavored, which is great with orange juice. The mint flavor is cool and refreshing. Dark chocolate has all the health benefits of a salad, but with a great chocolate taste. And for that extra detox boost, try activated charcoal and mint. Enjoy the energy. Enjoy the detox. Enjoy the great taste. Purely natural, liquid greens. You're listening to The Tonic on Sumer Radio. Carlisle Jansen is the founder of Good For Her, Toronto's premier sexuality shop and workshop centre in Toronto. And she's the producer of the Toronto International Porn Festival. She's the author of two books, including Sex Yourself. Watch her TEDx Toronto talk and educational videos at carlislejansen.com and she can be reached at carlisle at goodforher.com. Welcome back to The Tonic. Always a pleasure. So it's September 
and it's back to school. Yeah. And school's a little different now, right? Uh, well, it keeps changing, it seems. Right. And what we're talking about today, of course, is the curriculum, uh, the sex curriculum change that the new government has brought in, which is not the new curriculum. It's back to the old curriculum. Right. So we need to discuss this and we, yeah. need to, you know, it's an important topic. Absolutely. You wrote a great article about this in the September issue. And, Thank you. And that's what's grounding this conversation. What does the research tell us about kids and sex ed? The research says that kids who receive sexual education in schools end up starting having sex later in life. They have fewer partners. They have fewer sexual experiences. They use more protection uh, if they do have sex, and they have fewer risky behaviors. So the fears that if we talk about it, we're going to encourage them to have sex is completely unfounded. And it means that kids are actually more informed. And I think they're kind of less curious because they know a little more and so they're less likely to actually do it to figure out what everybody's talking about. Well, all those things that you listed, I think if, if somebody were to sort of characterize themselves as having objections to the 2015 curriculum, which yeah. no longer is approved by the provincial government, I think all of those concerns would be alleviated by the results that you say uh, are the results of, of a good sex ed education, right? Right, yeah. And, I, you know, I, I want to say that I'm a parent, and I right. get that parents are concerned. I mean, I have a 12 and 15-year-old. The idea of them having sex really scares me. So I want to put that out there, that right. it, it's a scary thing. It's also scary to think that they go to school on their own, that they cross the street on their well, own. I'm, constant, I'm constantly you know? scared for my kids. <laughs> you know? So, you know, but am I going to just sort of hope that they don't do it, or am I going to educate them and empower them so that hopefully they won't hurt anybody else. Hopefully they won't hurt themselves. And if they do make some choices that they're better and safer. You know, when we were in school, well, I was probably in school before you were in school, you know, the way information was disseminated, there was no internet. Um, right. There wasn't the ability to get this in information independently. Yeah. And anybody who has kids now, whether it's kids, grandkids, if you right. know kids, you know they take in information way differently than they historically yes. did. Yeah. And they're all the, online all the time. And the dam is broken. I mean, you can, mm -hmm. you, can, you can kid yourself that they're not finding out about sex. Oh, it's everywhere. But they are. The average age that kids see porn for the first time is age 10. Wow. And on top of that, there, you know, but what always happened before is that you have an older brother or sister who, you know, learns something and loves to shock the younger siblings oh, sure. and all their friends. And so the idea that they don't know about sex is actually untrue. They all know about it right. and they get lots of misinformation from the internet, from their friends, from their friends' siblings, from all kinds of places. That's, so that's sort of the grounding. That's the reality. They, yes. know, they know about it. Yeah. They're learning about it younger. Yeah. So any sort of policy that we're going to be in favor of has to address that reality, I think. Absolutely. I, what about those who think that the 2015 curriculum or a more progressive curriculum is subverting the role of the parent? Well, I think it enhances the role of the parent. I mean, so many parents say to me, when do I have the talk? Right. How do I bring it up? This is a perfect opportunity to bring up discussions. And so, you know, I love to find out when my kids have the sex talk at school because I say, what did you learn? What did you notice? What did the other kids say? What was new? What was different? What was uncomfortable? Um, well, it's easy for you to do because you're an expert, right? Exactly. It's, it is easy, but we have to have those conversations. Oh, for sure. 
sure. Yeah, no, no. All the time. And and I do get into places where I'm a little uncomfortable discussing things with the kids, even myself. So it's an opportunity also to say, okay, so what did they say about who knows what intercourse or right. anal sex or gender? What are my values about that? What do I think about that? What does my religion teach about that? What? How do I feel about it? Let's have a discussion. And the more that you open that door for kids, the more they're going to come to you. So many kids, are they're not going to talk to you about anything if they don't think that it's okay. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I would look at it this way. School is not replacing the role of the parent in terms of sexual education. No, no. It's providing crucial information the parent may not be comfortable discussing. Yes. But, you know, and as, information the parent might not know. Right, exactly. But it's also an opportunity for the parent to supplement, right? I mean, nobody's yes. saying you can't continue to have those discussions just because they're learning it in school. Well, in fact, the curriculum encourages it. It encourages us to continue those discussions and it gives kind of a a basic level so that we can then have those further discussions with our kids. But a lot of kids don't get that basic level at home. So then, you know, they're kind of out in left field and they think, oh, let me try this thing I saw on the internet. That's yeah, a really bad idea. That That is a bad idea. What about parents who may have uh, come from a different culture or, mm-hmm. or who have religious objection to a more progressive sexual education? There's nothing in the curriculum that's saying that you have to do something or should do something. I know people of all different religious stripes who agree with the curriculum I identify as Christian. I think it abides by all religious values of respect, tolerance. And, you know, we're going to meet lots of different kinds of people in our workplace, in our neighborhood, in our schools. I think it's really important because we get a lot of negative messages, whether they be from society, from culture, from our community, about people. I think it's important that everybody knows that everyone has a place and everybody is to be respected. Do you think there's an age that it's too young for kids to learn about sex, though? Well, absolutely. You know, I I mean, I think we need to start from day one. So we talk about body parts. We talk about okay touching, not okay touching, consent, even when it comes to hugging. We start the conversation from day one. Do we start talking about anal sex in kindergarten? No. No. So the curriculum is based on very solid evidence about what's age appropriate, what emotionally kids can handle, what intellectually they can handle what they already know. And so I think we can be confident that what they're learning based on the curriculum is appropriate for their age. And that's, I think, what's really important. I agree with you on that. So how does sex ed correlate to the prevention or response to sexual abuse? That's something you sort of touched upon. Yeah. So, you know, one of the things I learned early on from another sex educator is we cannot prevent our kids from getting abused. Things are going to happen to them, unfortunately. What we can do is try and minimize the amount of damage as a result. And so if they know their body parts, they can come and talk to us. They can express themselves. They can say, this is not okay. And they know a little bit more what's right and wrong. There's a classic example, and I'm sure it happened more than once of a young girl who was taught that her um, vulva was a cookie and she said to her teacher, you know, my uncle wants to share my cookie and the teacher of course said, yeah, it's great to share your cookie. Had no idea what she was talking about and 
endured mm. years of abuse before somebody caught on to what she really meant. It's really important that we know what's going on, that our kids can speak up for themselves, know what's okay, what's not okay, and can talk about what part of their body they're, something's happening to if they feel uncomfortable. Right. I think having that knowledge is power, right? Completely. And, and I think if kids are comfortable having the conversation about sex in general, I think they're going to be more comfortable understanding, you know, what's right, what's wrong. Therefore, they're in a position to understand this is wrong, you know, being touched inappropriately and then go to the appropriate person to discuss yeah. it. And predators know how to seek out those kids who aren't comfortable. Right. They know how to prey upon them. And then, of course, when kids are ready to have sex, whether it be 16 or 26 or 36, they're going to have a better sense of being able to say, no, I don't want this, you know, to advocate for themselves. Hmm. Good. All right. So we're in a sort of a strange area. We have time for one last question. So Mm -hmm. there's the 2015 curriculum and and then there's the old curriculum, which is now mandated. If parents object to either of them for whatever reason, what what can they do? You can pull your kids from school on that day. There's no, there's nothing preventing you from doing that. However, what you're going to find out is that all the kids who had that discussion are going to be talking about it in the schoolyard and your kid is going to be hearing the other kids' interpretations of what happened. They're going to get the information anyways. So, you know, absolutely it's your right to pull your kid, but I think that in the end what's going to happen is they're going to be uncomfortable. They're going to know they can't talk to you about things. They're going to talk to their friends. I think that they're more vulnerable. And if maybe they feel like... Maybe there's something different about them. They're going to really struggle with that because they're not going to know who to talk to and they're not going to know whether it's okay or not. Well, that makes a lot of sense. Thank you for coming on the show today to talk about this important topic. Always a pleasure. We've got to take a short break, but when we come back, we're going to learn how to cook with turmeric on the tonic. And now the soul segment with spiritual medium, transpersonal therapist and teacher, Lisa Marvin. Through her use of tarot cards, your questions about love, money, and career are sure to be answered. Hi, everyone. Thanks for joining me for this week's Soul Segment. Today, we'll be focusing on your career. The way this works is that I pulled three cards to get a glimpse as to what to expect for the week. The first card is the energy that has brought you to where you are now. The second card is what you need to focus on right now. And the third card is the energy that's going to carry you into the future. The first card that we'll be looking at is the energy that has brought you into this week, and it's the Ten of Pentacles. The Ten of Pentacles means that career-wise, you've been feeling more fulfilled than usual and being able to enjoy yourself a little more. It feels as though you've been able to celebrate your personal successes much easier. What you need to focus on this week is the Three of Pentacles. The Three of Pentacles is known as the Spotlight card. That means that this week, You'll feel as though you are more in the spotlight within your career. People may be noticing your work more while you've been feeling more in the flow. This is really good news because your next card is the Ace of Pentacles. This means that this new energy is going to inspire you to experience a birth of new emotional and spiritual fulfillment as well as some new security in your life. Maybe even a new way to make money. It looks like there's some wonderful changes happening within your career. So stay aware and enjoy every minute of it. Thank you for joining me, and I'm looking forward to connecting with you next week. This has been The Soul Segment with Lisa Marvin. To contact Lisa with your questions, please visit metaphysique.ca. I'd like to give a shout-out to our new sponsor, Omega Alpha. 
This company is 100% Canadian owned. Their team consists of allopathic and naturopathic doctors, nutritionists, researchers, and other scientific professionals, all led by their CEO, Dr. Gordon Chang. Formulations are created on their 40,000 square foot facility located in Toronto. Omega Alpha uses only the highest quality ingredients to manufacture the most efficacious yet price-friendly nutraceuticals. For more information about Omega Alpha, visit OmegaAlphaInc.com. Hi, this is Jamie Busson. I'm not only the host of The Tonic Talk Show, I'm also the publisher of Tonic Magazine. Tonic is a health and wellness magazine distributed with the Globe and Mail to home subscribers in the most affluent neighborhoods in Toronto. It's also available free on racks at over 150 locations across the GTA. For more information about Tonic Magazine, visit tonictoronto.com. Hey, if you like the Tonic Talk Show, you'll love Tonic Magazine, and vice versa. This is The Tonic on Zoomer Radio. My next guest, Carolyn Tanner-Cohen, is owner and founder of Delicious Dish Cooking School in Toronto. She's been teaching cooking classes for 17 years. She has a science background, which edifies her interest in health and fueling the body with foods that will optimize health. Carolyn teaches people how to meal plan, eat healthy, cook with natural whole foods, and organize their kitchen. She teaches new cooks, seasoned cooks, university students who are living on their own for the first time, nannies, housekeepers, and everyone in between. For more information about Carolyn, visit deliciousdish.ca. Welcome back to The Tonic. Hi, Jamie. So today we're going to talk about an ingredient that's getting a lot of press for health and wellness reasons, but it's been around in Indian cuisine and Asian cuisine for decades, eons, years. It's turmeric, correct? Absolutely. How do you say it? Do you say turmeric? I say turmeric. Turmeric. All right. You have to make sure that you put the R before the M. Right. Right. (laughs) Potato, potato, turmeric. Exactly. But I say turmeric. What is turmeric? Okay. So turmeric is actually a natural wonder in the healing world. Mm -hmm. And people have been using it for centuries and centuries. So what it looks like, it actually looks like a ginger in the fresh state. But smaller. Smaller and it's orange. But it's orange when you break it open. So it has sort of like an orange hue on the outside. Fresh turmeric we've all seen. It's It's a yellow powder. Uh, Sorry, dried turmeric is a yellow powder. Right. So turmeric has been used as a powerful anti-inflammatory, antioxidant, antibacterial, and antiseptic, and also an antidepressant medicinal herb since ancient times. The main component of turmeric, the medicinal property of turmeric, is called curcumum. Yep. And that's what's in turmeric that has such a great medicinal value. Okay. Yeah, and, and people sometimes take curcumin directly as opposed Absolutely. to taking turmeric. Yeah, yep. you could, well, that's what it is. Curcumin is what you want to take. Correct. And you could definitely take it in a supplement form. Turmeric has been known to combat inflammatory disorders like rheumatoid arthritis and GI stuff that's inflammatory in nature. It's known to slow the rate of cancer growth, improve cognitive function, and also enhance weight loss. When we're talking about these foods that have all the health benefits, you know, we're not suggesting you're getting dosages through the use of it as a spice in normal cooking, right? Like, like it helps, but if you have these issues and you want to try turmeric or curcumin, you know, you should be speaking with a specialist to determine dosages and, oh, yeah. and supplementation. Absolutely. Yeah. But also in that, you can't just take turmeric and sprinkle it on everything no, and say, right. okay, great, this is going to work. You have to understand that turmeric is basically 
not available to our bodies. Our bodies can't even absorb turmeric or the curcumin unless you combine it with a few things. I didn't know that. Yeah. So it's very important to know that there's four main thoughts or main ways you could, how you should eat turmeric so that it does become bioavailable. Okay. okay so, so what are they? So let's talk about those. So first of all, you need to sprinkle black pepper with your turmeric at all times. Okay. Otherwise, okay. the turmeric, the curcumin in the turmeric is not bioavailable. Our bodies cannot absorb it. So the pepperine, is, which is a compound found in black pepper, can improve, greatly improve the absorption by 2,000 times. Wow. Yeah. So basically all you need to do is you take your turmeric and you sprinkle a couple grinds of black pepper in whatever you're using. So even if you're putting it into a smoothie, add some black pepper to the smoothie. Okay. And, what, and quickly, what are the other three? Okay. So the other three is you want to add some fat. Okay. So you want to add some healthy fat because turmeric is fat soluble. It will absorb much better into your body if you add fat. So okay. olive oil, coconut oil, even if you're using turmeric in a smoothie, um, if you use almond milk because almonds have a high fat content, yep. you want to heat turmeric up. Okay. You know, so a lot of the raw movement says raw, 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 but yeah. you actually would like to heat, you actually want to heat the turmeric up. Um, it increases the solubility by 12 times, which wow. increases the bioavailability. The other thing you want to do is you want to combine it with quercetin-rich foods, which are onions, which are serrano peppers or jalapeno peppers or something like that. So think of it like this. A curry made right. with onions, black pepper, fat that's hot is going to be much better for you than just you know, chewing on a turmeric, a piece of turmeric. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Well, there okay. you go. So, okay. so the Indians are way ahead of us. They are way ahead of us. So the best way to eat turmeric is actually in a recipe. Okay. So, so do you have some recipes I do. for us? Okay. So I have a bunch of recipes for you. Okay. Uh, easiest recipes that what I do during the winter, because it's a great cold fighting agent, right. is what I'll do is I'll take a piece of fresh turmeric and I actually don't peel it. I usually use organic turmeric, so I don't have to worry about it. But uh, just to sort of digress for a second, if you choose turmeric that's young, in other words, the skin are very thin and they're not so wrinkled, you really don't need to peel it. And if you're planning on peeling it, you're probably never going to use it. So what I'll do is I'll just wash it really well and I'll chop it up like in coins and I'll put it in a pot of water and I'll bring it to a boil with some ginger, Mm -hmm. black pepper, of course. You could add a little bit of cayenne, which is really good for you as well. A little bit of honey if you need it a little bit sweeter. And then you have a beautiful, what I call a turmeric ginger glow tea. Nice. Yeah. But everybody's talking about the golden milk, right? Okay. Yeah. Tell us what that's about. Yeah. So basically golden milk is this tea that I just talked about, but in milk form. Okay. Okay. So you can make it two ways. How I like to do it is I will take all my ingredients in the blender. So I'll use almond milk or coconut milk, Mm -hmm. and I'll take ginger and turmeric, cinnamon, nutmeg, a little bit of black pepper, of course, a little bit of raw honey. And I'll blend that, and some blenders will heat up. If you have a high-speed blender, it'll actually heat up. So you could blend that, actually, for three minutes. It'll become hot. And then you have golden milk. My blender doesn't heat up. So what I'll do is I'll just blend it, and then I'll put the mixture into a little pot, and I then call it a turmeric latte. But it's really (laughs) golden milk. Okay. Okay, so what you hear of golden milk is actually a latte. Nice. Yeah. Another great way to use turmeric is on cauliflower because it pairs so well with cauliflower. So you can make a mixture of ground turmeric, which I'd love to talk about in a second, and some black pepper, some curry powder, and some paprika, salt and pepper. Yep. And sprinkle that onto cauliflower that's tossed in olive oil, roast it at 400 degrees for about 40 minutes, and you have beautiful cauliflower, roasted cauliflower, turmeric spiced. 
That sounds delicious. I'll take that mixture and sprinkle it on chicken as well and roast the chicken. I've made that cauliflower, but with um, a yogurt marinade. Oh. But it's American in, in with the yogurt. And That's it, it delicious. It, yeah, it's, it's yeah. super delicious. That's good for chicken as well. Right. So you wanted to talk about the dried versus the fresh. Yes. Okay. So a lot of people think that raw is better. It's okay. not true when it comes to turmeric. And we talked about that earlier because heating turmeric up actually actually makes it more bioavailable. So when they dry turmeric, what they do is they dry it, they cook it, they dry it, and they cook it on a low heat and they dry it and grind it. Okay. Okay. So heating turmeric seems to be the key in releasing the best parts of the turmeric, which is the curcumum. Now, let's talk about equivalence. So yep. how do you go from raw to dry? Like, let's say a recipe says dry and you want to use raw, or a recipe right. says raw and you want to use dry. So the rule of thumb is one inch of turmeric, right. like measure the inch, is about a tablespoon of freshly grated turmeric, which is equivalent to a teaspoon of ground turmeric. So the ground turmeric is more intense then? Always more intense because it's more concentrated. Okay. Okay. There's one thing about turmeric for those who haven't cooked with it. You know, it's what turns all your curries yellow, yeah. but it's also what can turn your entire kitchen yellow oh, if, if you're not careful. And your hands. And your hands. Yeah. So how would you deal with that? Okay. So I don't use bleach, but bleach is the best way to get it off your counter. Right. But I'm not a big bleach fan. So right. what I will do is I'll mix some baking soda with water. Right. And I'll pat it on the stain and I'll let it sit for about 15 minutes and then scrub it off. And it really does come off. I have marble countertops and everything stains from blueberries to right. turmeric. It's actually terrible. So I have to go through this process almost daily. All right. So and the other thing is, you know, you might just want to go and get some surgical gloves. You know, I do that when I'm dealing with jalapeno peppers. So you don't get the intense oil into your eyes, you know, rubbing your eyes. You know, you can find those gloves everywhere. Yep. And if you're cooking with stuff that stains or is difficult, that would be my go-to solution. Oh, for sure. I use gloves in cooking all the time. I just buy the big box of nitro gloves at Costco and okay. that saves my hands for sure. So you mentioned about grating turmeric and how would you go about doing that? So I always use a microplane grater. I love my microplane. Yeah. And you could get a fine one or a coarse one. Okay. Turmeric and ginger, I always use the coarse. Yep. Because it's fibrous, it won't go through the fine fine blade. And it'll stain your microplane blade a little bit as well, but it comes right off with lemon juice. Okay. That's okay? a good point. Yeah. So, and again, I do not peel it. I would never use so ginger you, or turmeric if I had to peel it. Okay. And, you, and you're okay with eating the peels? I am totally okay I don't with get eating phone, the peels. I don't want to get phone calls. Oh, no. I am completely good with eating the peels. Okay. Because the truth of the matter is, it's better to eat turmeric than not eat turmeric. And if okay. you had to start peeling that turmeric, forget it. Is turmeric easy to find? It's pretty easy to find. So there's two places you could look for it in a grocery store. Okay. Where would you find it? I always go to Lady York, by yeah, the way. Yeah. So I know that's where we okay. see each other. Yeah. And they have, they've had fresh turmeric for about a month or so right now. It, they, they have fresh turmeric all the time. I always find it there. And we're, it's right beside the ginger. Right. And it looks like ginger again. We said that. Yep. But it's smaller yep. and it's orange. Yep. Okay. So you buy it loose. You just buy like a handful, maybe like 20 pieces. And don't think that you're not going to use it. You are going to use it and force yourself to boil it into tea. How do you store it? Do you go in the fridge or do you I keep it dry? I put it in the fridge. No, because it shrivels up much quicker than ginger. So I do leave it in the fridge. I actually keep it in the bag that I brought it home in and I leave it opened in the bag in my fridge, in the drawer in my fridge. Okay. Okay. The other place they have it at Lady York is Mike's and Mike's Organics makes it in a um, mesh bag. 
carries oh, I, it in a mesh bag. I didn't know that. Yeah, so if you look in the organic section of most grocery stores, even Loblaws has it, you will always find it. You'll find ginger there like that and turmeric. And just be careful. Again, they look the same, but they're a different color. Fantastic. Okay. Thank you for coming in the show today. No problem. It was great. We're going to have you back next month to discuss more healthy cooking and recipes. Okay? Fabulous. Can't wait. Excellent. We've got to take a short break, but we'll be right back on The Tonic. The Benvenuto Group is an owner and developer of quality high-rise condominium and rental properties in Toronto and Montreal. The Benvenuto team is passionate about delivering quality living spaces, top lifestyle amenities, important services, and innovative design tailored specifically to its residents in every particular submarket. The Benvenuto Group seeks out the finest urban neighborhoods and designs projects to allow its residents to enjoy the benefits of both their property and the exceptional locations that they become a part of. The team surrounds itself with leading professionals and consultants and pushes them to conceive great places to live, to work, and to play. The Benvenuto Group is currently designing several new projects in Toronto, Montreal, and Chicago that will not only become exceptional places to live as an owner or as a renter, but that will deliver some of the highest levels of sustainability, energy efficiency, and comfort, and will set the standard for informed residents. For more information, please visit thebenvenuto.com. The Tonic is brought to you by Purely Natural. Their liquid greens chlorophyll is the only line of soluble, grit-free, and great-tasting greens on the market. Liquid greens can easily be mixed with your favorite drink to provide a sustained, natural boost of energy to help you get through your day. There's unflavored, which is great with orange juice. The mint flavor is cool and refreshing. Dark chocolate has all the health benefits of a salad, but with a great chocolate taste. And for that extra detox boost, try activated charcoal and mint. Enjoy the energy. Enjoy the detox. Enjoy the great taste. Purely natural, liquid greens. You're listening to The Tonic on Sumer Radio. My next guest, Rick Gilman, is a medical cannabis patient, consultant, and veteran freelance writer. He's involved in medical cannabis research and breeding projects, creating more effective medicine. He works for Canadian Cannabis Clinics as a medical outreach educator out of the Collingwood, Ontario Clinic. Good morning, Rick. How are you? Very well. How are you doing, Jamie? I'm doing great. In your article in the September issue of Tonic, you write that the new hot buzzword in cannabis is CBD. Yeah, I think not just in cannabis, but in the um, health-oriented um, community, it's become a, a huge thing, and uh, it's hit the main street, so to speak. Yeah, so I, I thought it would be helpful today to sort of go over your article for our listeners and, and really educate them about you know, what is CBD and, and, you know, how can it be used and what are some of the pitfalls? So let's start at the beginning, okay? Sure. What is CBD? So CBD is short for cannabidiol, and that is a compound that occurs in both hemp and cannabis plants. It has a great deal of healing properties for both things like pain and inflammation to start with. Okay. And CBD is showing progress in, in treating more than just pain and inflammation, right? What, what other Absolutely. ailments? Absolutely. Well, in terms of ailments, I mean, we have, of course, chronic pain is the number one thing we see people for at the clinic. But it's shown uh, huge efficacy in things like epilepsy, for example, stopping or even um, putting seizures into remission, Parkinson's, uh, multiple sclerosis, a lot of spasm issues like restless leg, for example, uh, mental health issues like anxiety, depression, PTSD. It, It helps a whole realm of conditions. Okay. And you mentioned before that CBD can come from hemp or cannabis, correct? That is correct. So explain, like, a lot of people think that hemp and cannabis are the same. Are are they the same plant? 
They're from the same family of plants, but they have radically different properties. Hemp, for example, cannot produce high levels of THC, the psychoactive component in, in cannabis. Usually can top out maybe at 2%, uh, usually one or under. They both produce CBD, but in radically different proportions. Okay. Um, a hemp plant can, a single hemp plant can produce a maximum of 3.5% CBD, whereas a cannabis plant can produce a single plant 20% or higher level of CBD. Okay, so for the purposes of cannabis for medical or treatment purposes, cannabis is preferred just because it's, it's uh, more prolific and you, you get more yield, correct? Well, yeah, per plant, but, but there's some other um, procedural things that make cannabis CBD so much more superior. So because of the percentages I just mentioned, the 3.5%, to produce a strong, potent cannabis oil from hemp, you need to use quite a massive amount to get the same amount from a small amount of cannabis. Right. So hemp is grown outdoors, and because it's an outdoor crop, it's susceptible to anything in the environment. Um, so think a huge crop with pesticides and any kind of um, naturally occurring toxins in the soil and everything. That's all getting into that crop that ends up just becoming the oil. I see. Okay, so like what you're saying is hemp is grown in a traditional agricultural setting outdoors, right? Absolutely. In fact, hemp's also known as, as a highly efficient bioaccumulator. And what that means is it sucks in very efficiently everything from the environment. In fact, they use hemp when there's a toxic spill, they plant it to, to leach all of the uh, contaminants out of the soil. So that is a good thing for the environment, but if that's something you're putting in your body and it can just absorb anything around, it's, it's a bit worrisome to me. Whereas right. cannabis, I, I will interject, is also primarily 100% grown indoors for medicinal purposes. So, so it's a controlled environment, it's government regulated, it's really night and day. So I, I didn't understand that. So you're saying that if you're getting uh, CBD from a cannabis plant, then it has to be uh, grown in greenhouse settings? It, it, it doesn't have to, but currently there are no licensed producers producing medical cannabis in Canada that are growing outdoors. Everything is grown indoors, either in a greenhouse or, or a warehouse environment, mandated by Health Canada and inspected by them. So Health Canada controls every aspect of growing medical cannabis, from what pesticides and nutrients can be used, to how it's harvested and it's lab tested and, and uh, you know, for mold and other potentially uh, dangerous pathogens. So it's night and day. Um, the stuff over the counter in the community, which you can buy at culture shops, you can buy at flea markets, it's, it's online, of course, is a huge presence. It's not tested. You don't know what you're getting in there. Right. Okay. So we're talking about over the counter. You're talking about the non-government regulated produced oils and, and edibles, etc. that, that right. you know, people get at head shops or as you call them, culture shops, correct? Right. So your concern, and it's legitimate, it isn't just how it's grown, it, this affects the potential potency and, and impurities, right? And safety, you know, I do in my article um, kind of reference a couple of incidents in the U.S. Two U.S. Army personnel in North Carolina actually died from ingesting tainted CBD last January. And there was another incident in, in Utah that was reported by the Center for Disease Control in the States. 52 people became ill from a bad batch of, uh, of street CBD oil. When I say street, I mean the stuff that's sold in these shops. Not, not, not generally not... sold on a corner by a guy right. 
trench coat. Um, hey, bud, come here. I got some CBD. <laughs> not yet, anyway. But 31 of those people were serious enough ill that they had to be admitted to emergency. You know, this is people, you know, a lot of people using this are primarily trying to use it for health reasons, meaning they have health issues. And the last thing you want when you're sick is to take something that's going to make you even more sick or... Right. Oh, you know, I, I, it occurred to me that when the shift comes over and, and everybody's free to have recreational cannabis products, a lot of people are going to start to self-medicate because they're going to seek out the CBD that's been over the counter because it is much cheaper, right? Right. Well, you know, not necessarily. Ironically, we had someone come in the clinic last week who actually paid a local head shop, as you know, I'll use your term, yeah. $270 for a bottle of oil the size of that a medical producer sells for about $90. Wow. Three times the price for, again, what I refer in the article as snake oil. You know, people are getting rich and they have no, I, I won't say none of them have concern with, with people's health, but, you know, the, the, the almighty dollar is their priority, not, uh, not medicine. Okay. So other than what we discussed, are there any other reasons why it's wrong to get CBD from hemp? You know, it has a value. Right. But again, if it were produced under the same stringent controls that medical is right now, then it, it's got a value. And, and having said that, it should be probably a lower priced alternative to, to cannabis CBD. If it's produced properly, like any crop, and regulated and, and lab tested, then, then it does have a potential place in, in the healing market. You know, hemp as opposed to cannabis has commercial value in and of itself, right? I mean, you can make hemp clothing, you can make Absolutely. ropes from it. Like, there's, there's a lot of uses for hemp. I'm going to ask a question. I don't know if you know the answer, but if you are producing hemp for those purposes, can it still also be harvested for the CBD at the same point? Or, Absolutely. It's the same plant, but growing plant, uh, hemp in Canada does require a special permit. It is in the cannabis family of plants, and we do issue those permits in Canada. You know, having said that, Dr. To, to your point about you know when it's legal, right. there will be, for example, the we don't know what the <laughs> Doug Ford's new breakdown, what the dispensaries will be, right. but there are, is going to be the Ontario cannabis stores, and, and I'm quite confident they will be selling hemp oil produced by the licensed producers for the recreational market. So there will be a safe alternative out there. Right, but it, it, we're just not there yet. Exactly. We're not there yet, and people want it now. People are, you know, hearing of the benefit. I see it every day. I'm a patient. It's, it's radically changed my life. It's got me off pharmaceuticals and, and to a different level of health than I could have ever achieved without it. So, you know, you're talking to a convert who was a skeptic at one point. Okay, fair enough. And, and you know, that's why we like having you on the show, because, you know, you, you not only counsel people, you know, you understand how it works because you're using it yourself. Yeah, I walk the walk. And you know what? And I, I'm giving back right now. I'm paying forward. This has done so much for my life. And I really love what I do, helping people, helping educate them, but also throwing up that that red flag when it needs to, like this case. You know, there's a lot of people, like I said, getting rich off selling this inferior CBD. There's no testing. You don't know if it's made with uh, what type of oil in most cases it's made with. You know, if people have an allergy, say, to grapeseed oil or to... Uh, you know, you, you know nothing about what's in it, really. All right, and let's talk about the legalities. We only have uh, we only have about one minute left in the interview, but okay. Just because people taking CBD oil, uh, there isn't a necessarily a THC element to it, doesn't mean that what they're getting over the the counter, as we call it, is legal. Correct. Correct. Again, this is not something I would ever foresee somebody being arrested for using. However. Bill C-45, which is new incoming cannabis legislation, makes it unequivocally clear that although there's no THC, 
CBD is still a regulated product that requires a, a prescription from a clinic like like uh, I work in. Right. Um, so it's not something that they are supposed to be able to sell. And if they were, they would have to be a licensed producer, essentially, because that's the only people that the government has have licensed to produce and sell this. So buyer beware. You know, if you're, if you're treating it as medicine, think about how you would want your medicine produced, right? Doesn't that make exactly. sense? Exactly. Well, thank you for coming on the show today. Always my pleasure. Thank you for having me, Jamie. We'll have to have you back again soon. Sounds good. Well, t- maybe October 17th week. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe so. Talk about legalization and where that's going to take us. Right. That's all the time we have today. Thank you kindly. Thank you for listening to The Tonic. You can download this episode as a podcast on zoomerradio.ca and thetonic.ca. For articles written about Carlisle Jansen, Rick Gilman, Lisa Marvin, and my upcoming interview with Dr. Jennifer Perlman, be sure to pick up your copy of Tonic Magazine. Tonic is available free on racks at over 200 locations across the GTA and delivered with the Globe and Mail to home subscribers in 11 choice neighborhoods in Toronto. Or you can visit our website at tonictoronto.com. If you're interested in providing feedback or coming on the show, you can email me at jamie at tonictoronto.com. Please join us next week on The Tonic when we'll discuss the natural treatment of hypothyroid condition, mindful parenting, and cooking with kids or grandkids. Until then, this is Jamie Basson wishing you a healthy and happy week. Please consult a healthcare professional before starting any diet, exercise, supplementation, or medication program. This has been a paid announcement. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.